Welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Before we jump into today's episode, um, I did want to let everyone know, you know, something I'm doing more of this year. Uh, you know, I've had the opportunity in years past to help mentor some younger entrepreneurs, sales professionals, etc. Um, talk about podcasting and kind of how I got started with it and give some tips and ideas. And I want to give that to the listeners as well. I love meeting new people. I love learning about your journey and some of the things going on. And if I can help in any way and give some feedback, I'm happy to do it. So go to my website, my contact page. I have a drop down there. You can just select a 15 minute call, um, send it off to me and we'll schedule a time together. And I'm looking forward to meeting anyone that wants to chat and uh, get to know me more, ask any questions, or again, just a chat in general about anything they're thinking about. So hope to get the opportunity to meet some of y'all a little bit more um, as this year goes along. Okay, so now onto our episode today and my chat with Rick Wilder, who is the founder of Wilder Supply Company. They're in the bath and body industry, you know, think soaps and oils and those type of things, but all natural, you know, the least amount of ingredients you can think of. And that's actually how I got in touch with them. I was doing a massive search months ago on, hey, I wanted some better products without all the, the chemicals in it um, that are out there today and came across their company. And I said, man, family owned business in Alaska. This is pretty neat. Um, and then once I got their products, I said, oh, my God, these don't disappoint either. I'm, I'm still using the soap today. And I had to have Rick on and hear his story and how the heck he got to this point. Um, and sure enough, he did not disappoint. It was really cool of how a kid from Alabama got in the aviation industry and how that took him up to what he's doing today, you know, making soap in his, on his farm in his backyard. So a uh, really cool story, very inspirational. Again, a lot, especially for folks that are saying, hey, you know, I want to accomplish different things in life or I want to try to change the world in a different way or have a different purpose. You can do that. If you put your mind to it, put a good work ethic behind it, you know, you have that opportunity. So I'm excited for you guys to listen in on the episode with Rick. So without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Rick Wilder. Let's get it started. Hey, uh, Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Hi, Brian. Thanks for finding us out here in this remote location in Alaska and uh, inviting us into your world down there. I'm excited to be here. Man, I'm excited too, because I, you know, so I don't remember if I share this. So like the funny way I got in touch with you, because I'm big on, you know, whether it's, um, you know, kind of from the environment standpoint or just more ethical, you know, in terms of means of creating products or whatever it is. So I was doing some search, I guess it's been a few months ago now on various products, especially I was looking, you have a seven-year-old. So I was kind of looking for my son as well. Like, you know, is there better soaps out there? Is there better other products? I think I was looking for um, the specific, I'm, I'm losing my mind on the name of it, the certain oil. Um, but I was look, I was looking for a few different things. Anyways, I came across your guys' website. I'm like, wow, this is cool. These guys are like out in the middle of nowhere. They have this company that seems like it's, it's doing well and, and they're obviously living kind of the way they want to. So I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta chat with these guys. So Ray, I appreciate you jumping on and, uh, and sharing that story, uh, sharing your story and your journey. Um, so can we start here? I can go a variety of ways to start based on some of your your background, but it seems like all these kind of breadcrumbs that led to what you're doing today, it started all the way back with your love for aviation. Because if it, were, it wasn't for aviation, right, you probably wouldn't have got to Alaska and, and then, you know, we probably wouldn't be talking. Um, so I'm curious to start there. Why You mentioned it was kind of a dream of yours to get into aviation when you were younger. What, why was that a dream? Like what fascinated you about it? Well, that's a good question because I cannot answer that. I mean, it's just, 
when I was, uh, I grew up in the 60s. I was a teenager in the 70s. So this was before internet. So I have to remind everybody that um, things were a little bit different, you know, where um, we got our information from. I had no one, there was no one in my family, relatives or friends that were pilots or in aviation. But when I was about nine or 10 years old, I just said, I want to be an airline pilot. Now, I don't know why it had to be an airline pilot. Um, I, I get very directed in what I'm doing and I have to have a mission and a goal. Even as a child, I had to have a, a mission. Like I had to have a mission to go cut a yard, you know, or, or be a paper boy. And, and um, the, the whole pilot thing came out the same way. And there was nothing, I had never even been in air, I had never been in an airplane. I had never been around airplanes but I knew I wanted to be an airline pilot. It was pretty specific. So the, the route I had to take at the time, and again, this was, you know, late 60s, starting in the early 70s, and Vietnam was like in full, still, still rolling. And what I saw was a lot of pilots that were, you know, worked for the airlines uh, were out of the military. So I said, okay, gee, that's how you do it. You go into the Air Force and get your ratings, and then you get out and become a pilot. And um, or, you know, a, a commercial airline pilot. And that's what I pursued. Uh, that's, I, I, again, I didn't know anybody. So I, when I was 14, <clears throat> I got in the Civil Air Patrol. That's the uh, branch. It's kind of like the Auxiliary Air Force, I think they call it. I'm not sure how well it's connected. But it was for mainly search and rescue. And they would get kids like myself and teenagers. And they would teach us all kinds of things about aviation. Most of us wanted to be pilots at some point. so that's how the our classes and our you know our weekly meetings are oriented it was like going to ground school and through that i i was i was in cap for about three years two two or three years and i wasn't telling anybody i wanted to be a pilot i just went to school like a regular kid but my parents knew <clears throat> but i would never i didn't tell my friends this it was just something i kept secret i have no idea why but so I, I, maybe i felt weird like I want to be an airline. I want to be the guy walking through the terminal with the suitcase and, you know, the flight crew and, and all this. I had this picture in my mind of what it was. And it was, to me, it was just kind of fascinating. So I, I just pursued it quietly. And when I was 17, uh, the Air Force recruiter people said, uh, you don't have 20-20 vision. You're not going to get in flight training. I'm like, my life's over. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it's over as I planned it. I'm 17. It's shattered. So what am I going to do? And I had to go to an alternative. The school people, you know, the counselor, they go, oh, yeah, electrical engineering is a big thing. So I just kind of gave up. I was in despair, depressed <laughs> a little bit, uh, wondering what I was going to do with my life because I was a big planner. And I shifted into electrical engineering, which I had no idea what it was. And in my first year, I said, I hate this. I don't even want to do it. I don't even know what I'm doing here. And I just, I wasn't, I did well in high school, but in college, I wasn't applying myself. I wasn't doing it because I didn't want to be there. I wanted to fly airplanes. So I started getting my degrees and ratings. Uh, yeah, the ratings. And when I was 19, I had um, my commercial instrument multi-engine. I just kind of went a DIY route. I went to a flying club, paid 15 bucks an hour for an airplane, five bucks for an instructor and just kind of pursued it that way. They taught me how to fly. <clears throat> and I studied the books to understand how to take the test and, you know, pass the test. Were, were you still, uh, if I can interject there, were you still in college for 
electrical engineering while you were doing this or did you drop out or? I was still in uh, for the first year and I started the second year, but I realized getting my license would be a reality. I could do it. Uh, I, I can, you know, it, it wasn't going to cost as much as I was, you know, it wasn't like I'm going to a college or a, a, a dedicated flying school, which is expensive. And I said, well, I can do this. So yeah, I was still in, I was still taking like full course loads, whatever, doing this and working a job. Uh, I was a paper boy and all kind of stuff. I was married and uh, yeah, so I was doing all this simultaneously, but I was young and I had the energy to do it. Uh, when I about the second or the first half of the second year in college, I dropped, I just quit. I said, I'm done. It's, this is a waste of time. I had my ratings. I was 19. I was a commercial instrument, multi-engine pilot, and I was making a living flying airplanes <laughs> at that point. Who did you work for? Did you just do that independently or was there a company you're with or? I worked with uh, a place at first it was a place called Memphis aircraft sales and they sold airplanes all over the country and in the same building was a guy that was a delivery service. So I worked for both of them. I would detail airplanes by day, clean them up and make them, you know, take the used planes, fix radios and little minor stuff, fly them to the engine shop, uh, get engine work done. And then by night I would go deliver them. So I would work sometimes day and night <laughs> uh, doing this just to, to make a living because I got paid basically about five bucks an hour, no matter what I was doing. If I was delivering a plane or cleaning it, I got paid the same and I had a house, was married, had bills to pay. And I just had to kind of pursue that really hard. And I did that until I was 20. And when I turned 20, I jumped into heavier type flying and, you know, FedEx in this, in this day back then, it was kind of a fledgling company. Uh, They're having a hard time making a go of it. And it was an interesting story. I lived in Memphis. So FedEx was right there in Memphis and they had these nice little Falcons, these little jets, these little Falcon twenties, I think they were tens or twenties and they couldn't haul anything. I mean, we could throw a few garbage bagfuls of, uh, you know, their flat rate little pack envelopes, whatever they called and they were maxed out. So they needed somebody that, or they needed planes that could haul the weight and, you know, the, the you know, carry the bulk of their freight around. And there were all these people back then, they had DC-3s, you know, the old World War II airplanes built in the 40s. And they were great for that, but they weren't reliable. So I worked for probably three or six different companies, maybe up to a dozen, because they would work till the planes broke. And they would, we'd be on the ramp and they would, we'd say, well, the planes broke. And they'd say, well, you're laid off. <laughs> so we might be in, who knows where, Atlanta, New Orleans and, and so I figure out how to get home, hitch a ride and uh, they would lose track. So we would get laid off and we'd have to go find another job. So yeah, I worked for so many people that I didn't even know who it was. You know, I'm working for this person and this person. And as long as I was getting a paycheck, that's kind of what was mattering. Uh, my wife had, she even worked some back then because to fill in the gaps because the, the work was inconsistent. I even sold cars for a month for, <laughs> Poor dealership. I'm a terrible salesman. I found out after 30 days, they kind of said, "You're out of here," and it was kind of good because on that last day, I had a job. So, <laughs> was flying as glamorous as you made it out to be as a kid? Did it turn out to be like something you you love to do? Yes, it was a thing where I never had to go to work. Uh, I don't. <clears throat> we talk about wanting to do that where we don't have to go to work. We just love what we're doing, 
And I have a really mixed kind of a, it's kind of a mixed bag for me because I did it then, but then a lot of my work I've done through my life has been work to just, you know, get the job done. Uh, I had an end goal for the job, but when I was flying, they paid me to go do something that was just incredibly fun. <laughs> I mean, you get it could, oh, thunderstorms, you know? Yeah. We might go through, you know, you'd kind of wake up and go, man, it's a nasty day out there. It's going to be a bumpy ride and you know, all this icing and tornadoes and whatever hurricanes and, but the freight didn't care. The boxes didn't care. So we had to fly. Uh, the only time that I've gotten to a job where, you know, it was a little more temperate was uh, when I was flying passengers, you know, corporate executives didn't want to be bounced around. So I didn't have to fly in all kind of weather, but it was that, that glamor part was still there, but I'm still 20, 21. Uh, when I was 22, I hit my, I hit the pinnacle of my career at 22. Most of my friends were getting out of college and I was burned through a whole career of aviation. Uh, we, I, I was flying for an outfit down in New Orleans, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. And they were startup. They had really nice planes. It was all passengers. They had mechanics. Actually, I never worked for a place that had mechanics. So we had to do a lot of our own work. And it was great, but I was making about three times what I was making hauling freight. And I'm only working like 10 days a month. When I'm hauling freight, I'm working close to 30 days. I mean, every day uh, without a break just to make the pay. And I said, this isn't going to last. But it was a good job. People bring you coffee. You know, you're wearing a uniform. My wife said, you look like a kid playing dress up. And I kind of went, yeah, I probably am. <laughs> you know? uh, but that was, uh, that was my last big flying job right there. It was a place called Gulf Air Transport. They were getting a jet. They had a 727 coming. It was growing. But in my mind and the way I saw things, I said, they can't last. They can't pay us this much money to do as little work as we're doing. And I felt like it was going to go under. So um, that's where a big, a big change occurred right there. Uh, with, I was leaving something that I wanted to do, but I had taken the test uh, about a year before during a lull when I was laid off the test for air traffic control. A family friend said, Hey, controllers, you know, don't they, I'm one, we don't get laid off. You've got a job for 25 years and you know, the job security. And I'm going like, you know, it sounds good, but it sounds like something I don't really want to do. I work in the system all day. I'm flying. I'm talking to the controllers all day, but I just didn't want to, like, I never thought about being one. So I took the test. Yeah, it was okay. I put it on my mind. And when I'm in this Gulf air transport dream job, you know, it was great. Uh, make it, I didn't know how to spend the money we were making. We couldn't, I just had to sock it away because I thought, I don't know what to do with this. They're paying me too much from, you know, for what we're doing here. I better save it because it's not going to last. And, uh, it was, that was 1981 and, you know, Reagan, um, the controllers went on strike in 81. Uh, a lot of people may not remember that. I'm just old enough for, to have been there. And he fired the ones that didn't come back to work after the deadline. So there was a big deficit in controllers and we could fill it in the aviation side. You know, we could fill that. Um, uh, it was, you know, we had like really long delays and everything. And, uh, so I was, you know, flying through that and it was like the fourth week of December FA calls up and they said, Hey, you want a job? I'm like, Oh yeah, <laughs> I took that test and I don't know. I took it. I did it. 
Is that what um, got you up to Alaska or did you take any jobs in between or? It was what got me up here. The friend, the, the family friend that told me about this said, oh yeah, by the way, put in for Alaska, you'll get hired quicker. I'm like, okay, whatever. So that's how we got up here. I was in the system for Alaska, so I couldn't change. I'm like, oh, I want to stay in the South. I don't even know what Alaska is, you know? And uh, they said, I'm sorry, you're going. If you want the job, you're going. And that's how we got up here. Yeah, I would have had second thoughts if I knew the washout rate. Um, it was really bad. I, I'm leaving a perfectly good job for one that I think about less than a third of the people actually made it to check out. I think of the 30-something in the class, like five or six of us made it. So I would have had second thoughts had I known that, the uncertainty. and. Yeah, but that's how we got up here. It was 1982 when I rolled so, to Alaska. Well, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And obviously, you're still in Alaska, right? So you, you obviously fell in love with it at some point but, uh, that you decided to stay. What, what was it or when, I guess, when was the time where you kind of, and maybe you didn't switch right then, but you had the inception in your head like, hey, this is not what I want to do the rest of my life. I have some bigger ambitions. Do you remember that, those kind of first, maybe it's a more self-talk that you had or conversations internally? I did. It was after I got checked out as a controller. You have to, you, it's, I've been running pretty much 100 miles an hour my whole life. Since I was out of diapers, I was working, you know, working and just working and trying to, you know, I had this weird financial thing as a kid. I said, you know, I'd look 50, 60 years in the future and go, man, I need to be at these certain points through my life. Uh, I'm sure other people do that, but I ha I was just very focused on working and, and making a living and, and all this stuff, you know, life, but I was just running all the time. And as a pilot, I was always running to the next job. I had to get the next job because I never made it to the airline. You know, I never worked for Delta or Republic or Continental or any of those people. And that's what I, my goal was. And I, when, when I switched into air traffic, I said something about it. Just, I just said, you know, I'm never going to go back. I'm never going to be a pilot. Man, this is weird. Uh, I loved it, but I also recognized in the FAA, I, I could get out with 25 years. So I could leave when I was 47. But if I was a pilot, I would have to work even flying for the FAA. They had some jobs I could have, you know, slid over into, but I would end up being closer to 60 when I got out. And I was going, well, okay. I, I, my life is not about work. You know, I'm kind of thinking that I'm like, I have to work, but it's not about that. And, and, um, it was just a few years after I got, you know, in as a controller, so it's probably about 85, 86. That's when I started having this change. Like, what am I actually doing? You know, I was able to sit back with a job that I clock into and, you know, you clock in and clock out and go home and forget about it. I never had that really. So, I was able to think about my mind just kind of, I was thinking again, I went, Oh, so what do I do with my life? How do I, how do I proceed? And that's the, the big change that occurred was I realized I'm probably never going to fly again. So let's just put that out of my mind, you know, wash it out, forget about it, look ahead. What's the next thing. And I had gone to church all my life. I'll use terms. I don't like you know going to church, that kind of a term and stuff, but I did. I, I, grew up as you know we, we went to church all the time but I had kind of not pursued it real hard I was very you know like I'm, I'm trying to get to the next job you know like uh, family got wife kids houses you know payments and stuff to take care of 
and it just never occurred to me, well, you're not, you're pursuing things that you can see, touch, feel and everything. Uh, but what about, you know, what's beyond that? Of course, I'm thinking forward again. I'm going, what's beyond this life? <laughs> and that was a lot of times on our work as a controller, we worked mid shifts and it was kind of quiet and you had a lot of time. You had to stay awake. So you had to sit and think, what am I thinking? Oh, you had, you had to like engage your mind to stay awake. And that's what got me engaged. And I said, you know, I think I want to do mission work when I get out of here. 47. Yeah, I'll go do mission work. And at the time, you know, my, my mission work mind was, oh, you go overseas and you come back and you raise the money to go overseas again. I went, oh, I don't like that. I don't want to raise the money. I want to support myself, you know, and that's where this, you know, this FAA job was going to take me. And there was a lot of, I went through a lot of um, uh, transitions in that, you know, the, whatever you want to call, I'll just, you know, air quotes, mission work. Uh, it has it changed uh, pretty drastically. In the 90s, uh, I started thinking more about, like, I'm looking around. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sitting in church on Sundays and going, like, what are we doing? What are we doing as people? And I started looking at families. Now, I paint a broad brush on a lot of this. I'm not trying to pin everybody down on something. But I'm looking going, like, man, we are messed up. You know, I mean, this is just in people in general. <laughs> in America, you know, our lives, our families were messed up a little bit. Uh, I actually did, uh, my wife and I did, we were like the youth pastors, if you know, if that's a, the term they were using, I can't remember what they called it then. And I worked with the kids there, the high school and junior high kids. And I started seeing things with that, you know, just little, little steps. I'm thinking like, what's, what's happening here? You know, I'm, I'm, I was a pilot. Now I'm doing this. Now I want to do mission work and I'm seeing kids going off. And I like finances too. I like, you know, that stuff. I like, I like seeing people get out of debt. I like, you know, working towards not being in debt myself, but I would see kids go off and come back four or five years later, you know, loaded up with debt, living with their parents, not even working in the job. They, the field, they got a degree in. And it was a little strange. I was going like, what's going on here? Maybe parents aren't engaged or something with, uh, you know, in our in, in family life. Cause in Alaska, uh, I, I think it's different from the South. I, I grew up in Alabama, Tennessee. Up here, you got hunting, fishing, boating, flying, skiing, snow machining. For you got all these recreational opportunities, and we pursued those really hard as parents and dads. Uh, but I was thinking we were kind of lacking in the family realm. I was even, you know, uh, I'm, I'm speaking for myself too. You know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at myself, going, well where am I, you know, what am I doing? And uh, I'm looking at these kids coming back from, you know, college debt and something started kind of working on me. And I started saying, Hmm, I wonder if, you know, I hear these things like small businesses, the backbone of America, uh, the American economy, but I'm not seeing it. And I'm everybody that I'm associated with, you know, we have our government jobs, our day jobs, working for somebody and the kids are off doing their thing. And I said, what if we, started wrapping stuff into like a multi-generational, you know, small family type business operations. That was a big, you know, click over for me. Uh, that's so I wanted to pursue that. And my girls were older. They were going to school or they had, uh, were leaving and heading out um, of the state. Jordan was homeschooled. Uh, he's working with me today. Uh, my, one of my daughters does too, but uh, Jordan was still there at home. And I said, what do you want to do? And he said, said, you want us to start a 
I'm, I'm kind of like fishing around, like, I don't know. Uh, let's start a business. What does that mean? You know, and, and I'm thinking of it in terms of, you know, parents and children, multi-generational, and then grand, you know, I'm looking at it from that perspective and going like, that would be so cool to have that if we could get it together. And that is, was part of the push to get to here. And then things happen along the way. Um, I started looking at, well, what are we going to do? And one of the things, my daughter was working in the, uh, what was it called? Guest ranch, uh, work for guest ranches, uh, working ranches where people, I'm going like, people come and pay to stay in these rooms and ride horses and do stuff. And, and uh, I said, we're in Alaska. It's a, people love Alaska. So maybe we got some opportunities for that to build this business upon. And, but I was wrapping the, you know, my spiritual side into this and, and I'm looking, I said, one of the problems I was feeling was that as parents, we don't have our heads screwed on right. Sometimes it's like we're disconnected we're over here, running, making money, doing stuff. Kids are over here doing their own thing. And we have this family disconnect. And I said, maybe if people, we could get our heads back on and have a few minutes of quiet and get off the treadmill, the rat race, then we could think. And, you know, like, oh, gee, <laughs> where am I going with life? You know, that sort of thing. So I, I, I wrap it into and would term it like I wanted to make a place for a spiritual retreat, you know, where people can just turn the phones off. You know, uh, we laugh. I, we have a shirt. My son-in-law is a graphic artist. Uh, he has his own business doing doing that. He made a shirt. He called it something like the Wilder Mountain Lodge. And he made this really, I wish I'd brought you would have, I could have held up and you would probably laugh for a few minutes, but I had long hair, like real long hair. And I look like a crazy man out here. And uh, anyway, I'm, he's got me riding a Segway through the woods and my son's over there. He looks like, you know, the pictures of modern day Jesus with the beard, the, you know, the Caucasian Jesus. He looks like that. And he's back in there chopping wood. And, and that was our retreat thing. And he, kind of put it together in a picture but seriously uh that's what i want to pursue is this you know this family business yeah and can i i want to pause for a second there because I want, I want to get into now the business and running it and those type of things i want to go back though if i could because you mentioned a few things over the course of our talk already you kind of had a mission and goal these big plans always thinking ahead where did that come from was that did you have any um, and, and I'll use the word mentors, maybe it was parents, but did you have some people in your life that helped give you that guidance early on? Cause that seemed like very, um, advanced, I guess, for a young kid to think about in, in the future there. I don't know. Maybe I didn't think about that stuff. So <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe I'm the minority on that. I don't know. No, I, I, I didn't. My parents weren't that way. They, they encouraged me. Uh, but I just, I would, I just ran with stuff. I would pick something up and run with it. My parents were free, pretty sedate. They were pretty, uh, laid back people. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really uh, pretty laid back. I'm a, you know, it's like people get this idea that maybe I'm running like a crazy man all the time. And I kind of do, but it's very calm. You know, the, it's kind of the calm where, you know, when you're in the, in the airplane and you hear the captain go, Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a little bit of a problem. Uh, everything will be okay. We're on the ground in a few minutes. Well, up in the cockpit, what's happening is, you know, your engine just blew up. It's on fire. The place looks like a Christmas tree with lights and warning bells and stuff. And you're just being real, oh, yeah, nothing. Uh, you know, and you call the tower and go, yeah, we'd like to land as soon as possible if it's okay with you. And, you know, you have that 
you have this weird, it's like you're a like multiple personality. <laughs> you know, you're having to, to have this energy of running and going hard, but staying also, you know, pretty level and calm. And I, as a kid, that's where I, I lived. Uh, but I always had, I, I never had that from anybody. And we lived on the outskirts of Memphis. Usually we stayed on the outskirts, kind of close to the woods. My parents were from the country and they didn't, they just, like I said, they just provided me encouragement. They just said, Oh yeah. Okay. You want to do that? Cool. Right on. Okay. You want to be a pilot? Yeah. My mom wanted me to be a doctor. And I said, I don't like blood. I don't like all that stuff. So I'm going to be a pilot. They encouraged, um, to a degree, but there was no over, you know, overbearing anything. It's just, uh, I, I taught, um, my, my folks and even my in-laws, uh, finance stuff when I was like in 20 something, I just, I'm not a heavy financial guy. I'm not like, you know, really, uh, really deep into it, but I can just see the surface things. And I just wanted people to not be in debt, you know, like paying the bank for the rest of their lives. And, and I just would read books to that. <laughs> well, and you also said, I mean, I think part of this too, is the independence thing. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I kind of relate, you mentioned your you know, paper carrier and those type of things. Like you kind of had almost be out on your own and you learned a lot on the fly by probably doing some of those jobs, right. At an early age and kind of being out and just in the outskirts, as you said, or in the woods, right. Figuring it out where other folks now is maybe they get too much. I don't want to say too much, but maybe they get, there's, there's um, almost an oversight committee on these kids these days, you know, <laughs> where it's like everything they're doing instead of just letting them be free and figuring some of this out themselves. Yes, I, it's, I really like that. Uh, the, you know, kids need the parents, they need some, they need some boundaries and direction, but man, let them run. Let, you know, that's, that's what we do. The grandkids out here, we live in the woods and it's like, they're swinging from trees and doing all kinds of stuff. You know, it's like when I was a kid, there's no, uh, we don't have, you know, safe playgrounds and stuff like that. I mean, you, you live and you, yeah, you get burned and you learn from it really quick. And I, that's what, that's what I went through. Um, situations would pop up and I would have to deal with them. And that's something that we've talked about. I've talked about with several people is we tend to, for some reason, maybe it's our internet type of society or thinking is I find a tendency to overanalyze instead of just getting things done, which is kind of cool. Your podcast, you know, get it done. Um, and I can do that. I can fall into that, man, I'm going to analyze this something to death. Where is a, you know, younger before we had internet and we could access all this information. If I got a piece of equipment and it sort of didn't work, I had to figure out how to make it work. You know, that's, you probably get that. It's like, you go, well, it's not working. Uh, I've just got to make it happen. I've got to make it work. And you know, back in the old days <laughs> before, you know, like fast shipping and all that kind of stuff, you just, that's how we seem to live. You, you had to hammer things out and make it happen. So yeah, that, that's. So speaking about figuring it out, how the heck do you uncover soap as the, <laughs> as the thing that you go into? Where did soap come in from? Oh man. Okay. This is crazy. Um, my, so we're, we're in the process of this, making this retreat thing, right? Uh, building buildings. And I like vertical integration. So we were going to, um, we bought the property where we are now. We've added on to it. So we've got a couple hundred acres or something out here now. But 
we, there was a piece of property that said, we're going to put the lodge, we call it the lodge. And that's what I refer to it as that still even, we're going to put it on this piece of property. So I retired, it was 2007, bought a bulldozer, excavator, dump truck, and all the equipment that you need to build a road and, you know, build houses and stuff or build, you know, this group of buildings. <clears throat> we made the road, pushed it in to the back of the property. It's like a thousand feet in and it's pretty good road. Uh, so we start clearing the property uh, or clearing out, cutting the trees, you know, level, making the foundation. And we built this building. It's not huge. It's log. And please don't picture a steamboat resort log building. It's like, it's an Alaskan log building. It's maybe 1600 square foot with just tons of windows in it and big porches. But we built it from the ground up. And it was just Jordan and myself doing most of the work. And I said, we are really slow. Man, we are like, slow we're terribly slow for building how are we going to do this how are we going to build this whole center out here this whole thing with all these places and i was thinking in my mind had to be log i never considered um stick frame construction and i had done that so i kind of backed off for a minute and i'm thinking how are we going to do it and make this and be have it up and running you know in less than within 10 years it just seems impossible and we spent a winter, we just spent a winter putting up a website on alternative energy because it was, we moved out here in 2005, it's off the grid. So we put in solar and wind and the whole nine yards. And um, I, that was a whole learning experience, putting solar, putting, you know, alternative energy system in. So we wrote, put a website up on it, informational type thing. And we just finished it. And I said, I was telling Jordan, I said, we're slow. We need to do something else. So I rolled back about 97 ish 98 my sister-in-law sent my wife some couple bars of soap hand, just homemade soap and i got it and i was fascinated i'm going I, you know we've all seen the beverly hillbillies with the granny out there cooking up her lye soap on the back porch of the mansion but i'm saying you can really do this and it was really good stuff so yeah i kind of i kind of was I had going out of control. Uh, Jordan, like I said, he was homeschooled on the science and chemistry. So I said, let's make soap. Let's try this. And got books and read all the books and said, we can do it. We made a batch. It was good. We made another batch. It was good. Made another batch. And I'm hooked at that point of turning fats, oils, and lye into this salt, basically, that's a really nice soap. And it doesn't, you know, make you feel like you've stripped all the you know, everything off your body uh, after you got done with it. So I really liked it and just kept making it. I couldn't stop, basically. It was my way after, a, you know, a kind of a maybe a bad day at work, a tough day. You go home, I could go out and pound out a big old batch of soap, you know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, that was fun. It smelled good. I'm happy now. So the it just kept going from that point. And I was telling Jordan, you know, at this point when I realized we're so slow in building, let's do something in the meantime. I said, I can always get rid of all the soap I ever made, sell it, give it away, whatever. So let's give it a shot. And this was the beginning of e-commerce. Uh, what year was this? 2010, 11, when we kind of was getting this idea. And that was in the day of like Yahoo stores. You know, they were just, the websites were just pretty, e-commerce was kind of, I thought it was kind of pretty lame. You know, it was like, oh, this stuff doesn't even look good. And can we even sell it online? Because we didn't really have an Anchorage market uh, or a, you know, Alaska market. And I thought, well, we're out here in the woods. We're about 70 miles from Anchorage, um, the bigger city. 
so we can try and make it and sell it online. So we come up with this whole plan and it just started doing it. It was just weird. Jordan was, I made the soap and a lot of the products and I turned Jordan onto the, uh, like figure out how to make a website and how to make stuff work. Um, we're fairly DIY people. You probably figured that out. So he's, you know, reading stuff, trying to figure out how to make a website. Yeah. So we're using all this Joomla and stuff in the early days, but it got up and running and it actually took off in about 2013. It was, we weren't selling in Alaska. We're selling to the 48 States and the rest of the world. And it kind of just popped up overnight um, from, from one, one, blog basically <laughs> well so that's what i was gonna ask is how how did you get it out was it was it some viral thing that you wrote or is it just by doing some like ads online like where did people find you well the funny thing is we didn't know what we were doing whatsoever uh, we were just kind of like in the dark bouncing against the walls and we tried a couple of craft shows in 2013 in anchorage and they were okay but it's like, man, that's a lot of prep. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, it's, we're a long ways from it. And we didn't really make a lot. We, we made, we did okay. And I thought, you can't make a living doing craft shows. That's what I was kind of, you know, getting the feel of. It was about late, it was December, January, 2014. This is, this is incredible. Um, and I don't know if it just happens for everybody or what, but uh, we knew about content. We knew about writing content for the website because our, our alternative energy site, we spent a whole winter writing content for it. And even today you can type in just basic keywords for, you know, off grid batteries or wind power. And we're like usually within the first two or three, you know, hits because we wrote really good content, uh, very in depth and original content on alternative energy. And, um, that put us on the charts. And we knew we should be doing it for the website. But before that happened, one blogger in Canada, <laughs> it was weird. She, I, I don't remember exactly how it was, but she had bought some of our product. I have no idea where she got it from because our presence online was maybe some Google ads at the time or something pretty, pretty low key. So she got it and she wrote one article on it. And the next thing we know, it's like the orders just binging in like crazy because she had a pretty decent following. And that, amazingly, that one, we tried other people, other blog people and stuff, and nothing has worked except for that one. Uh, and even today, we still, we kind of advertise with her and we still get a fair amount of traffic from her one article, <laughs> oddly enough. So, we were just amazed. It's like, wow, that, that was almost too easy. How did that happen? And that's what put us on the map. And then it's just kind of perpetuated from there. And our customers are definitely long-term. So, you know, I'll tell anybody that if they call, I go, Hey, there's a 50% chance you're going to be addicted to this stuff. So if you don't really want to get addicted, just, you know, don't buy it because we get a lot of return, like our return rates really high. Uh, and so that's helped, you know, pull us, Kind of keep the ball keep the momentum rolling but yeah one one place odd and we tried google ads we tried things and they sort of work they sort of don't work so i think right now we don't even advertise anywhere we prefer word of mouth advertising and have our customers do it for us 
And you're saying just to be, I want to make sure you're clear when you said re, your return rate that you're saying you don't get a lot of returns because people are just, you have loyal customers. Is that right? Did you say that? Oh, right? sorry. Oh, return. I meant returning customers. Oh, returning customers. Okay. I thought you, yeah, I want to make sure we clear the air on that. Yeah. Your returning customer rate is very high uh, because of yes, it's very okay. high. No, we don't get our returns are fairly, um, we might get one or two a year where somebody goes, Oh, I had a, you know, broke me out or something, <laughs> you know, something like that. But no, we don't have return in that respect. It's just returning customers. I think uh, on any given day, we might have half of the orders we ship out are current, you know, customers from who knows, 2013, 14, 15. Yeah. And hey, part of it is timing, you know, but at the end of the day, well, I think you said something there and I think it's clear to point out is you wrote a lot of great content to put out there. So if you don't write that content, you know, it goes back to my whole argument around luck. It's like, it's not, it, yes, it's lucky, but it's only lucky because you created the luck for yourself by writing the content. If you don't write the content, you don't get the blog article, we might not be talking today. So there, right. there is some, um, you know, opportunity that exists because you actually put out uh, some great content there. So yeah, you got lucky, mm -hmm. but lucky is really a culmination of some great hard work, I guess. Yeah, I think the hard work is you, uh, we, we we talk about this all the time how we don't have i mean it's it's kind of bad but how we don't have good content on our website right now that we should um i can like I'm, i've been doing this for 20 years or more um i know how things work but i just have had a hard time getting it on paper and that would that's actually our next step is the getting it is getting our content on our website built up for some reason we just haven't done it and it would be probably amazing if we did that just knowing from our our power talk website that um what it did for that it could do the same thing for us here yeah. and we're at a point where we really need to you know pick up the ball and start running with with that but no uh yeah i don't think stuff just really falls in place so much uh i think the the uh, boost we had back in 2000 late 13 2014 it was a good Thing to help us get going but i'm always real skeptical like soon as it hit i'm telling the kids i'm going um man we gotta like find the next way we can't just sit on this i'm really big on it we can't sit on our results of this one thing we need to keep pushing and keep going uh and that's you know it's it's really it's been kind of hard to do it's it's a combination of our lifestyle almost you know, you live where, you know, you're charging batteries in the wintertime, you're maintaining stuff, you know, the goats, the cow, you know, whatever animals we have, uh, we plow about two miles of road. Uh, when we have a big snowfall, we have no uh, state maintenance up here. So we're the sole maintainers of our road to get to the highway so we can get our packages out. So it's just a lot of, you know, we can find a lot of stuff to do during the day that's not even related to our, uh, you know, to the wilder supply stuff. It's it's sometimes it's a little distressing and I go, man, you know, if we only had the power cord hooked up here and we didn't have to, you know, maintain our batteries and stuff. But then again, that's part of the, you know, the fun of living out here and it's not overbearing. We just have to be, uh, I'm always trying to figure out how to work. You know, it, you've heard the term, you know, work smarter, not harder. And um, boy, that's a, it, it should apply to us really strongly, but yeah, you're right. Content and then the hard work uh, of just keeping things going is, got to do it <laughs> yeah or do you ever get complacent 
or, uh, or get comfortable? And if so, I guess, how do you snap yourself out of it? You will laugh about this one because when, <laughs> when we lived, uh, complacency is something that I'm, I'm deathly afraid of. I don't like. Uh, when we, we lived in Anchorage um, through most of the 90s and early 2000s, we had a nice house up on the hillside, beautiful view. I mean, just amazing. And, and I'm looking at this and, and I'm looking at it in terms of what I'm going to do when, when, when the retirement comes and I get out in a few years and we have to, you know, make this retreat camp is what I would call the spiritual retreat camp. So I was kind of, that's how I term it. But I felt too comfortable where I was and I'm not against people being comfortable. I like being warm. I mean, it's cold outside. I've got the heat going in here, but I, there, there's a, a complacency does bother me a little bit. And so we're living in this really nice place in, in town. And I said, what if it was all taken away? I don't want to feel like I, I had this sense. I'm like, what if it just got washed away and, and something happened and we had to live in, in way different, you know, situation. So we bought a house in Palmer that's real close. It's kind of between Anchorage where we lived and where we live now. And we bought a house. Another family actually rented it from us. But me and Jordan went out and built, started, we built a log cabin building. And my goal, and it wasn't small, it was like 16 by 24, two-story. And my wife and Jordan and I, we were going to move into it from our big place up in Anchorage. And I said, we need to get uncomfortable. <laughs> and I felt like that. I said, I don't want to be comfortable because I, I, when I get comfortable, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a hard feeling. It's like, then I want more comfortable. And I'm, uh, even to the, you know, now we heat with firewood. A lot of our stuff is, you know, we do a lot of firewood type. So I like to go out and work a few hours in the wintertime when it's, you know, dead cold, you know, blazing just like frozen wasteland out there and go do some work. Because I find if I stay indoors all winter, when I need to go outside, I get cold because I've been, you know, you know, too comfortable. So <laughs> that's fair. No, I'm, I'm very aware of this, you know, the complacency thing and I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> are, um, are there any guiding principles, you know, for your business, maybe they're a cornerstone to keep the business going or that you kind of use as, um, I don't know why to use like mantra, but like things that you guys think about are always important for your specific business. We don't have anything locked down. I think that's probably the, sometimes it's a detriment of having a small business, you know, that's all family working it because we just assume we know what we're doing and, you know, where we're going to go, where we're going to go with everything. But my, my take or my um, outlook on it is pretty much I don't exist to enrich my life. Um, I've, I've got, uh, when I retired, we had, things paid off. I didn't owe anybody anything, a few bucks in the bank. And I went, well, this is pretty lame. I thought it was going to feel different. I thought having everything all set up and it was going to be this aha moment and everything's going to be great. And I realized, you know, the money things and stuff are just that they don't bring anything to the table for me. They they're and, and not everybody's the same, but that's just how I feel. And in the business sense, it's the same way. I I'm there to be the springboard for a next generation or somebody else to pick this, this business up. 
and run with it in a similar manner. And that is we make good product and, you know, we make things that people need and people enjoy. And yet we earn a living for ourselves in a comfortable way. And we, we try to be good stewards and that's, I'm really big on that. It's like what I have, I want to be a really good steward of it. I want to make sure I, I use it properly. But yeah, if you start, you know, looking at it from the perspective of, you know, what the way I live and what we drive, I mean, I drive old cars and trucks and, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not enamored with, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, the glitzy stuff, our house is too big, you know, all of that. It's just, um, I'm, I'm happy with what we have. And I'm my, you know, my own, if you want to call it my own, the mantra that I would have for the thing that I'm putting out is like, I'm here as a springboard and I'm here to help other people. And I'm here to see what I can do to, uh, you know, the, the term people say, you know, I hear it a lot. People go, I want to make the world a better place. I don't know if we can really do that, but I can, you know, work with my family or the, the kids that are working with me now, um, you know, expand the business, employ people and be a good employer. And that's for me, that is really important is just being a good employer, uh, creating jobs for people and putting out a good product. And I'm curious this because we, when we jumped on the call before we started, you're talking about doing a variety of different stuff, accounting, whatever. Is there any things that you delegate out and you, or do you like to do it all? Like how, I'm curious how you split up certain things. Oh man, we are, I, we pretty much do everything from start to finish. Uh, even our labels. Um, you, you probably saw some of those. That's, we print all that stuff in house. Uh, my son-in-law's graphic artist and he creates our logo and all that. And so we kind of keep everything right there in the family. Uh, but delegating stuff out in this environment is really hard. Uh, it is. I, I, I don't even know how to explain that. I, I don't know where to go <laughs> because the, the, you know, I do the bookkeeping and I'm thinking, how would I turn this over? I actually was thinking about this a few months ago. I'm going, who would I turn this over to? What would I do if I didn't do it? Who would make the soap? You know, cause I'm, I can do it pretty, you know, pretty quick and easy. And, and it's, uh, for after all the years, it's like, who would make it? Um, who would do these other things? And we're at a, I think we're at a, at a point where I really have to think about that seriously. And yes, I do need to get more stuff off of my plate so I can do more things that I need to be doing instead of being locked in, you know, bookkeeping and making soap. So, it, you know, got grandkids coming up. <laughs> They'll be in there, but I think it's going to have to end up being more uh, employee participation, you know, as the time goes on. And um, I like to get out in the community. Uh, there's several places that I, I enjoy working with uh, that I haven't been had the opportunity to work with it. Um, you know, different, uh, just different groups. And I'm, I'm, but I find myself being, you know, gravitating into going, Oh, I got to take care of the books. So yeah, we'll figure it out one day. <laughs> Something to think about, right? What's, oh, yeah. uh, we're talking about a lot of good stuff, right? Of growing the business and some, some things. What, what's kind of the biggest heartache you've had? Is there a big loss or, you know, kind of the L that you've put up that you remember that's kind of impacted you the most? Just myself, uh, not getting, uh, being aggressive enough and trying to keep things too tamped down. Um, trying to not grow too fast. And I would tend to, sometimes I throw a blanket on stuff because I'm going like, man, if we can't make this good, then I'm, I don't want to, 
I don't want to just start growing and doing stuff if it's going to be kind of uh, the word might be slipshod. You know, I think that was an old old word I remember where we're just kind of doing stuff haphazardly. Um, so I think I'm kind of I've been kind of a a uh, little bit of a damper on some of the growth and not being able to delegate and not being able to get other people involved. You know, you have that when you kind of build something up like a little small business thing, you, you have to start come to the point where you start letting things go and letting other people have a, um, you know, kind of have control of a, of a certain portion of the operation and I've been fairly poor at that. And that's, I've recognized that. I'm glad you brought it up because now I'm publicly announcing it. So I have to do something about it. But yeah, that's fine. Well, that's how, how do you problem. learn then from that? Is that like, do, do you have folks that you talk with on a regular basis that you kind of throw ideas off of? Do you listen to podcasts or read books? Like what, how do you continue to learn maybe and try to evolve some of that stuff? I listen to podcasts uh, of, of you know, fairly, um, when I can, uh, I don't get to listen to them all the time because we have a limited, uh, bandwidth out here and we have like spotty communications. Uh, sometimes I can be in the woods and, you know, pick up a cell signal and kind of get stuff. But no, I do. I, I'm 60, but I'm still learning. Uh, I'm still learning. I'm still, uh, understanding that I don't know a whole lot. The more I think I know, the less I do know. So yeah, I've got, I got books on the shelf in the business world. And I've got the podcast over there in the business world. You know, it's like I, I, I feel like I'll probably just be doing that for a long time because I, I like the community connection part too. Uh, that's one thing we don't have out here is a lot of people around us. And sometimes I feel like with, yeah, you know, I'm listening to the podcast. I'm, like, hey, I'm part of something, <laughs> you know, I kind of like that, but I also realize that, you know, that's also the, the problem with our, you know, our Facebook society is that we make these fake relationships and I don't like that. I, this is kind of cool being able to talk face to face with someone, you know, um, on the other side of the world. This is cool. I've got a friend in Dubai. Uh, he's a, a pilot over there and I get to occasionally, not often, but, you know, talk with him in real time, you know, a real person. Uh, so I, I try to, you know, put those in balance. And, but as far as like local people that I get to physically meet with in a business sense, I don't really have them. Uh, it's kind of an odd thing. We, um, and I, I realized that lack of not having that. I don't know people that have their own business. Most everybody I know works for somebody. It seems <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's fair. And that, well, I mean, Hey, I, it's, it's pretty cool what you're doing up there. Maybe. And, and as you mentioned, maybe you're kind of showing that, you know, you can create your own thing, even where you guys are um, and do it on your own terms. What, uh, what are you guys excited about there at Wilder supply company going forward? Maybe the next year or two years, what are some things on your plate that you're excited about? Well, we've been, we've been working local for, since uh, the beginning. We have, we've been big sellers uh, retail to the lower 48 and the rest of the world and about a year ago two years back and that's how slow we move it's probably been almost two years i said man we gotta get a presence in alaska we don't have one here we had a couple of little minor retail shops but nothing that was growing and they were pretty 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 weak uh just to be honest they just didn't go anywhere but i felt like we needed to have something present here in alaska and what i would tell what i when i'm talking to Jordan and Hannah, that's his wife. She works with us 
um, and Courtney, uh, my daughter comes in, does a lot of manufacturing. When I'm talking to everybody, I'm saying, I really want to make Wilder Supply. Uh, I don't know if this is the correct term, but I say, I want to make it an industry in Alaska. I want people to know, like, there's these people in Chicago and they've got a soap factory. And we do more in soap. That's, soap is actually one of our uh, almost minor things. It's a, it's, we sell a lot, but we sell a lot of the other products, too. Our face products are really a big deal. And we're focusing a lot on the face products, but I want it to be, I want Alaskans to know about it because we need to have a presence here because I really think the community is a big deal anywhere you live. And that's where I want to go with. Um, I, I just feel like if we, if people know who we are in the business side, uh, then it would just it would just help increase the presence of people going like okay there is more industry in Alaska than just you know fishing and mining, <laughs> um, and I don't know if we'll make it but you know that's what I'd like to do. There's no huge soap factories here. I'm not really planning on building a big factory, but um, that's what I'm looking for going forward and also being more involved with our community. Where uh, we live in the Matsu Valley, Matanuska-Susitna Valley, and quite honestly, it's a fairly uh, now I could be speaking. Uh, unknowledgeable here because I'm not sure how the Rule 48 is working, but it's a pretty tough place. It's uh, for a lot of people. We have, you know, I'll just I'll kind of throw it out there, and I don't know if it'll appropriate or make sense. But we there's like a lot of big drug problems here in this valley. Uh, it's a fairly you know dark place for that, and a lot of people need some help. There's uh, you know addiction recovery places that are just working overtime. Uh, with people trying to get people, you know, off of the streets and out of that. And that would be, that's something that I think we could probably, you know, play a part in is supporting operations. That's what I really want to do, support operations like that um, with our, you know, with our, what we're making with our income. And so, yeah, it's just looking forward for me. I'm excited. Uh, to try to grow the, st the state locally. And that's happening. Interesting. Uh, we start uh, getting some wholesale locations. We don't have our own store. That'd be pretty tough for us to do. We're about close to 30 miles from the closest town that would support one, but there's some really nice stores already there. And one of them just started carrying our product and it's, it's like taken off really good. So it's encouraging that we're getting a presence. There's actually two of them in the Valley uh, that are just taken off. So that's encouraging to me. You know, it's like, okay, people like this stuff and they love our packaging. We have good retail packaging, um, you know, and that's, that's where I'm, I'm hoping that we're, we're going to spend some really hard and fast time growing our, our local business. So people know, people don't have to ask us. Uh, we did have a question one day. Someone said, you've been up here so long. How come I've never heard of you before? <laughs> and she carries our product now. And that was her question that made me start thinking like, yeah, we're just kind of like hidden away out here selling to everybody in the world. <laughs> people, people in other countries know who we are more than people in Alaska. So it's kind of weird. No, that's great. And that's a, that's a good endeavor, obviously going forward. So where can everyone check you guys out? You have, you know, wildersupply.com is the website. Is there anywhere else that they can connect with you or find more about the, the company, the products, et cetera? That's well, you know, that's about it. We have, um, people do run through, uh, I'll mention the blog that, that put us on the map and it's called Red and Honey. <laughs> uh, 
it's a, a lady in Canada that's a, a blogger, and I guess she's really popular. But that put us on the map. But she's written. Uh, we've had some other people write about us, but I don't really know that there's been a big impact on those, you know, on our operation from these other places. But yeah, basically our websites there. Um, we have alternative energy website, but uh, site, but it's pretty. It's pretty dated and old school, so we haven't had been, it doesn't even link to us or bring us up. So, so, so let's end on this. The you know, so I always kind of ask this question and, and take it however you want, answer whatever your thoughts are. But imagine like someone listening, you know, had a notebook of like inspiring thoughts or quotes, like something that inspired them. They kept looking at from time to time. Is there a piece of advice or a quote or something you would kind of impart on them, kind of to jot down and keep in that notebook? Uh, from a business sense, I would probably say, and even from other senses, I would probably say what I've had to do is ask myself over and over, why do I do what I'm doing? And just become not self-absorbed, but rather introspective on that. And in the business sense, it's like I would say if somebody's wanting to start something, I, would, <clears throat> I wouldn't say the question is not, do I need to? It's like, why do I need to? you know, the why question comes up a lot and I would really, and, and you can even apply that in everyday things. I do that myself. Like people say, Hey, you need to move to a warm location. And I would say, why <laughs> my purpose isn't there. No one's told me to, to go there yet. Um, I haven't been pointed to another location. So here I am until I can answer the, you know, why would I do that? And why would I start a business? And that one, I think I kind of might have touched on it a little bit. It's not to grow wealth for me as an individual, but it's to grow wealth for the people around me um, to a point where people can live and people can, you know, enjoy life. <laughs> um, we make great products for people. That's the why of why I'm doing this. And that would be the one thing that I would I would point to is just kind of ask yourself why a lot, you know, like, why am I doing this? And I've, when I do that for myself, I find that sometimes I see, you know, cracks and flaws in what I'm, what my thinking is. And I go, well, my original thought was to do this. A fellow told me this, this is kind of a, a weird one. I don't want to turn it into turn people off, but um, we're having, uh, there were some, we're having dinner up here one night and there were these two older gentlemen and one of the guys was known for, he would take a trip and he would stuff money in his pocket cash. Cause he said, when I'm on that trip, somebody's going to need something. And this goes into the why, uh, you know, asking your question, the questions. And I said, well, this was probably about 2000, maybe nine ish when we were building the lodge building and doing all this building. And I asked myself, Jerry, I feel like I'm just out here building buildings. And I don't know what my purpose is at this point. Like today, if you said, what's your purpose? And I go, I don't know. I wake up and I build. I wake up and I build. I go to sleep and wake up and build. And he just said, well, what did God tell you to do? I said, build these buildings for some reason. And he said, well, just do that until he tells you to do something else. <laughs> I went, okay that kind of makes some weird sense. Uh, you know, instead of, you know, my, my thoughts would be, well, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I need to jump. I need to like just start doing, kicking and doing some other stuff. And so that was the beginning of the, 
why am I doing these things? Um, you know, I need to have a purpose for it. And I found that to be more settling than just going out and doing stuff without having any kind of focus. And I, I can tell you, I could be bad at that. I can shotgun stuff all day. You know, like, Hey, we need to do this. We need to do this. I'm, you know, my kids are like, stop, <laughs> got too many business ideas. Um, and then I go, okay, I need to focus. Why would we do that? Or why would we do these other things? Uh, so that's the day why we're focused on the soap and hopefully the, um, I'm asking myself on that whole, you know, retreat thing, the building stuff, is it, you know, time to start that back up. So I'm personally looking forward to, you know, kicking that out and maybe getting it rolling again. But yeah, I would, that's, I would definitely go with it. No, I think that's, and I think that's great advice too, is sometimes, you know, we're going a mile a minute is to take a step back and just reflect and yeah, say, or is this really what I feel kind of in my gut of something, what I should be doing? So I think that's a absolutely great advice there. And Rick, this has been an absolute pleasure. This was really cool to, to get to chat with you. I'm glad, you know, it's just funny how serendipity works, how we actually connected. And um, I'm really appreciative of, of getting the chance to, to speak with you. So, so, so thanks for, uh, for you joining today. Yeah, Brian, thanks. It's, this has been amazing. I've just, I've loved it. Uh, it's great, you know, connecting with you out there and I hope, uh, we can have some conversations in the future about this. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that episode and look forward to having you in the next one. And if I could make one ask of the community, if you did enjoy this one or others, please head over to iTunes, leave me a quick review, give me a rating, let me know how I'm doing. It also gives a chance for this podcast to get bubbled up to more people more exposure on it, and hopefully help other people on their journeys kind of get to that next level. And go check me out online. BrianAndraco.com is the website. Um, I have the podcast there, blog. I even have a now page to kind of keep people up to speed in the last couple months, what's going on in my world. Um, At worst, it allows my mom to keep tabs on me and make sure I'm doing okay. And feel free to connect with me on Instagram or Twitter, at BrianAndraco. Send me a DM. Let me know how you guys are doing, a little bit about your journey. I love to connect with new people and kind of hear what's making them passionate and motivated to reach fulfillment in their life. So I thank you guys again for listening in. I hope you have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.